Well, we've enjoyed our weekend being with you Saturday and some fellowship on Friday night. And uh, it's a pleasure to uh, be with you. My wife and I uh, pass on our uh, thank yous for being, a, being here and having fellowship and, and having a number of times just to have a meal. And so we appreciate that very, very much. And, uh, uh, you know, it's kind of a COVID time. I know people probably are not attending otherwise like to attend. But it's good, it's good to be here together with you. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. And I want to share a message uh, on the power of the gospel in preaching. The power of the gospel in preaching. Um, how God reaches people. How people are saved uh, by the spoken message. It may be just a conversation over coffee. It may be preaching in a church setting. It might be in a home. It might be in a small gathering somewhere. But uh, the Lord works in a wonderful way through the spoken preaching, even the read uh, scriptures or a tract. God, God works through the, uh, the power of the gospel through preaching. I want to share a little bit about my life. And I probably should have done this earlier so you, you would get to know me a little bit better. But um, I was raised in a Christian home. I was raised in a, a group, a, a, a church group much like this. Um, we didn't have a church building like this. We met in a home for a lot of years. And then we uh, met upstairs above a fire station uh, for most of, my, uh, most of my life till I was 18 or 19 years old. And... Um, we didn't have Sunday school. Never went to Sunday school in my life. Uh, I did go to Bible camp a couple of times. But, you know, it was an, an interesting thing. My parents prayed for me. Uh, they taught the scriptures to me. Uh, we didn't have Sunday school, but my mother bought some correspondence, moody correspondence courses for children. I remember going through that. And they tried very hard to share the gospel with me. But I never got saved I made professions of salvation, but I never got saved in all those years growing up. And I was brought to church meetings from the time I could lay in a, I don't know, in a, a, a baby carrier on the floor. I, I can't remember not being ever in a church meeting. We went on vacation. We brought our hymn books. We brought our little flock hymn books, and we broke bread in a campground or wherever we were on vacation. We did that. But didn't get saved. And I've thought about that over the years. And it's a wonderful thing to be raised in a Christian family. But it's also a thing that it can be a, a struggle. It can be a bit of a struggle. And for me it was, in a way, because I knew the gospel. And I prayed to trust Christ as my Savior a number of times. But the gospel in my mind, I was looking at other people. I mean, I was looking at my parents I was looking at my sister, my older sister, and I saw a consistent Christian life in them, and I didn't see the same thing in me. And so I began to struggle and get frustrated, and I wanted to be a Christian. I wanted to live as a Christian, and I began to do that in my own strength. I was sharing yesterday how a lot of times uh, we look at ourselves. Instead of looking at the cross, looking at the finished work, looking at what Christ has done for us, we look at ourselves. We look at ourselves and, and how we fall short. In my case, I looked at my parents 
and I looked at my sister and I looked at others and I looked at myself and I, I, I judged my Christian life on all the things I didn't do, all the failures, all the inconsistencies, instead of keeping my eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. I got to college. Before I went to college, my mother gave me a, a, a real big Bible. It was a study Bible. It was called the Open, the Nelson Open Study Bible. And I took it to college with me. I wasn't really planning to read it, but I began to read it. And, uh, and I saw there was a Bible study poster flyer on a bulletin board. So I began to go to that Bible study. There's only five people in that Bible study. And they were all newly saved Roman Catholics. The college was in northern New Jersey. And I went there and we began to, I think we we're studying John's gospel. And uh, they began to ask questions. And I knew all the answers. I knew the answers, but I wasn't a Christian. I knew all the answers to the questions they had. They had no idea. They had, they had really no idea about the Bible. They were fresh new Christians. And it was all new to them. And so I would explain the difference between John the Apostle and John the Baptist. And they thought I was the greatest Bible scholar that you know, ever, ever walked the earth. Wow, you know that? You know that? So they were asking me all the questions. They wanted me to be the leader. I eventually became the president of the InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And I wasn't really even a Christian at that point. And uh, there was a friend in that group. His name was Joe Toomey. Joe Toomey now is a pastor in western Pennsylvania. He's actually the superintendent of a region uh, for the Christian Missionary Alliance. I still have contact with them. We, we still have conversations from time to time. He, um, he loved to do evangelistic work. We had a, a block of time for lunch, about two hours. We could study. We could do whatever and um, have our lunch. And he would want to go out and hand out tracts and talk to people. And I, I was so interested in that. I was, you know, I'm just going to have my lunch. I'll study a little bit. No, no, no. Come on. Come on. Let's, let's go and talk to somebody. He loved to talk to the most difficult people. You know, if they're a foreign student or they look like they were, you know, high on, on drugs and they had long hair or, or something about them, he'd like to have a really good, vigorous conversation about their, their philosophy of life. And so he would take me along with him. And we had these great conversations. And uh, as he was talking to people, the president of the InterVarsity Christian Fellowship was there, and I was listening. I was getting the gospel from him as he was telling other people, and I was supposed to be going along helping him share the gospel, I was learning more and more. I was learning from their questions to him. I was learning from his answers to those people we were speaking to. One day, after about a, oh, eight months or a year, I remember laying in bed, and I said this to the Lord. I said, I've tried to be a Christian. I've tried to live the Christian life, I think, in my own strength. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that Christ died on the cross for my sins. I want to be a follower. I want to be a Christian, but I can't do it in my own strength. If I'm going to be a Christian, you have to give me the strength to do it. I can't do it for myself. And from that point on, there was a real radical change in my life. Eventually, after a little bit of time, after I graduated, I became staff worker for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And uh, I did that for a period of time. Eventually, I did a number of other things. I worked with Operation Mobilization and a few other ministries. And later on, I became a missionary with the assemblies. And then I've been 
and we've been now in Florida now for 25 years serving the Lord. But I say all that to say uh, the Lord works in our lives in different ways. And even if you're here now and you're not sure you're raised in a Christian home, you're not sure if you're a Christian or not, keep your eyes on the cross. Keep your eyes on what Christ has done. Keep your eyes on him. Don't get your eyes on yourself. That's where discouragement comes. That's where frustration comes when we keep our eyes too much on ourselves. Well, your Bibles are open to Romans chapter 1. And uh, we want to look at one verse in Romans chapter 1. That's verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. And this is a tremendous verse. It talks about the power of the gospel to transform a life. The gospel is, is, is able to transform any life wherever you come from, whatever your background is, whatever your, whatever your sins are in your life, whatever your situation is. The, gospels, the gospel is able to, to lead you to salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is able to bring a transformation in our lives as we yield to it, as we trust the Lord Jesus Christ in that. Every person here in this room, if you're a believer, the gospel, in the gospel, has pointed us to Christ. And as we place faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have received the forgiveness of sins and our lives have been changed. We're not going in the same direction that we went before we were Christians. The gospel and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ has done that. It's transformed our lives. There was someone that came into your life there was somewhere, a place where you heard the message of the gospel. There was a tract where you were reading the Bible. And the Lord Jesus Christ transformed our lives by our faith in the finished work in the Lord Jesus Christ. For the past couple of years, we're not able to go this year. We've gone to, uh, to the Vancouver area of British Columbia. In this one particular area, there are a lot of Chinese immigrants coming to that area. I think there are something like 77%. In this particular area, Kitsilano area of Vancouver, and there's a, a local assembly there. They have an outreach uh, to Chinese people, especially through ESL, other programs. And uh, every summer we go there for about two weeks, and we have what's called Bible Week. It's not vacation Bible school for children; it's vacation Bible school for adults, for young, for for, for adults in their 20s and 30s. Um, a lot of women, about 20 percent, 25 percent are men. Uh, some are teenagers, not for little children, it's for grown people. And we have vacation Bible school. We have messages of, of preaching. And it is so encouraging to me. Here are people who come from atheistic Chinese, communist Chinese uh, backgrounds in society. And time after time, we see them coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. The first time I spoke, first time I spoke there, I spoke to an ESL class. And at the end of each of these ESL classes, there's a short, through translation, a short gospel message. And so I spoke to 25 people. And as I spoke to those 25 people, there was a woman who had just come. Her English was, was almost non-existent. And she sat there learning English. She heard the gospel message. Her name was Lydia. The gospel message uh, through translation, and that morning, that, that morning, right about lunchtime, she trusted Christ as her Savior. I went back to the United States, went back to, to Florida, 
where the elder said that she had gotten saved, she had gotten baptized, she had led her mother in China to the Lord, and now she's led other people to the Lord as well. And if you were to go to that assembly, you would see about 65% of the people in that assembly are Chinese. And they've all gotten saved while they've been in British Columbia in the Vancouver area. The gospel is able to transform lives. It's not just people raised in Christian families that get saved. The power of the gospel can change someone from China, can change someone from whatever walk of life or whatever background of life you have. Through There's power in the preached word of the gospel. I want to share with you a little bit of C.H. Spurgeon's conversion. Uh, he has recorded through, through preaching about how he got saved. He was about 13 years old or 14 years old. He lived in Colchester, England. And he was under the conviction of sin. His mother's name was Eliza. His, his father's name was Job. They were both very strong believers, but he wasn't a Christian. But he was under the conviction of sin. And he resolved, as a, as a person of 13 years old, uh, to go to every church in his town. He would go to every church in his town seeking to hear the gospel message. Somehow they would hear the understanding of how he could become a Christian. He was a little bit like I was. I wanted to know how to become a Christian. That's how he was. Under the conviction of sin. So the first Sunday he went out. He went to a church. He said, I listened gladly to the preacher. He spoke about the power of God and the sovereignty of God and the greatness of God. He said, I, learned, I, he said, I listened to him gladly, but I didn't hear anything about how I was becoming a Christian. He went to the next church the following Sunday. In that church, the pastor talked about serving the Lord. Marching, he says, marching in the Lord's army and serving the Lord. And he said, it was a wonderful message, but I didn't hear about how I could become a Christian. I didn't hear about my sins. I didn't hear about how I could become a Christian. He said, I went to another church. And then that church, the pastor preached about the law and how the law convicts, shows us that we're sinners. And he said, I saw that I was more and more a sinner that morning but he didn't show me how I should become a Christian. He said, the next Sunday morning, I chose to go to a church a little further away. As I got up that morning, there was, a, there was a strong snowstorm. And I began to walk outside, and the snow was higher and higher, and I couldn't go to my destination. I turned down a street, and on that street was a little church. It was called a Primitive Baptist Church. So I... I went into that church. He said, the pastor, the snow was so strong and the wind and the drifts were so great that the pastor did not come that morning. There were about 12 people gathered in that church. We sat and finally a long, tall man rose up and went to the pulpit. See, Spurgeon said he may have been a, 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 he may have been a shoemaker or a tailor. He said he certainly was not familiar in preaching the gospel or preaching at all. He may have been a deacon in that church, but he got up. No one else was getting up. He got up and he decided he would give the message of that morning. So the message was only 10 minutes long. His, his verse, his text for that morning was this. It was Isaiah 45, verse 22, which is, Look unto me. And be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none other. So he began his sermon and he said this. 
My dear friends, my text is a very simple one indeed. He says, now, it says, look. Now, looking doesn't take a lot of pain. Anyone can look. You don't need to go to college to go to, to look. It doesn't take a lot of pain to lift your finger. It doesn't take a lot of energy to lift your hand. Anybody can look. A child can look. A man who earns thousands of dollars a year can look. A man who is the biggest fool in the town can look. He said anybody can look. Then he says, and says also in my text, look to me. He says, he said, many are looking at themselves. There's no good looking there. Many people say I should look at God the Father. He said, you will look at God the Father by and by, but now you should look at me. Look at the Lord Jesus. Look at me, he says. Other saints would say, well, we need to wait for the Spirit's working. And he said, There's no, you've got no business with that right now. Right now, the gospel text says, look unto me and be ye saved. He went on to say, the Lord Jesus says, look to me. I'm sweating great drops of blood. Look unto me. I'm hanging on the cross. Look unto me. I'm dead and buried. Look unto me, I rise again. Look unto me, I ascend to heaven. Look unto me, I'm sitting at the Father's right hand. O oh, poor sinner, look unto me. Look unto me. Look unto me. He spoke for about ten minutes. It was about the end of his tether, he said. And he looked at the audience and there was about twelve people there. He must have known all those twelve because he began to look at me. I was a stranger. I was a visitor. And he began to look at me, and he began to speak to me from the pulpit. And he said this. He said, young man, you look miserable. Young man, you look very miserable, he said. Well, I did. But I had not been accustomed to have remarks about my public, my personal appearance made from the pulpit. However, it was a good blow. It struck home. And he continued and said, you will always be miserable. You will always be miserable in life. You will always be miserable in death. You'll continue to be miserable. You'll be miserable, miserable, miserable until you obey my text. And if you obey this text at this moment, if you obey this text now, if you obey this text, you will be saved. If you by faith trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you by faith see that He died on the cross for your sins, you will be saved. He said that morning, through that little church where the pastor did not come, where the long, lanky shoemaker or tailor preached for ten minutes, very, very unaccustomed to preaching, it was there that I came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want to share some things this morning about the power of the preached word. Now we need, each one of us, and the people that are unsaved in the world today, they need someone to bring the message of the gospel to them. I had someone who brought the message of the gospel to me. You probably had someone who brought the message of the gospel to you. We need that. 
Now, in a nutshell, I want to share a few things about the gospel. The gospel is, is seen and displayed and unfolded all through the scriptures. We have it in the Old Testament. We have it in the New Testament. We have themes in the Old Testament. We have truths in the, in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, we'll relearn about the fact that we are sinners. We're lost in our trespasses and sins. We read in Isaiah 53 and verse 6 that all we like sheep have gone astray. A, a general statement of the fact that we are lost we're sinners. We don't know the Lord Jesus. We still, we're still in our sins. He says, we, we, all we like sheep have gone astray. A general statement. But then it says this. And each one of us has turned to his own way. We, have per, we are personally responsible. We have personally turned our backs on the Lord Jesus Christ. We have personally gone our own way. It's not because of our father. It's not because of my mother. It's not because of the environment I was brought up in. It wasn't because of my neighborhood. He said, all we like sheep are sinners, but we also are responsible. We have turned each one. We have turned each one to his own way. I did that. I turned to my own way. Maybe you turned to your own way. Maybe you're turning, you're living in your own way right now. But then you know what it says? doesn't say if you clean your life up, then the Lord will save you. If you go to a church for a while, uh, then the Lord will save you. You give money to the church and, and, and kind of clean yourself up a little bit more, then the Lord will save you. We had a neighbor whose wife got saved, and we were reaching out to her husband. And uh, I would talk to him from time to time. And he said, I want to be a Christian, but I want to first clean myself up a little bit. I don't want to be a hypocrite. His, his line was, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I want to clean myself up. I want to get myself more presentable. Then I'll believe in the Lord Jesus, and then I'll continue living for the Lord. So I said to him, that doesn't work that way. That's not how it works. You can't clean yourself up. The problem is you can't do it. And I said, how are you doing now in cleaning your life up? He said, not very well. Not very well. He was an alcoholic at that time. He was drinking very heavily. In fact, their marriage was very close to divorce because of his drinking. He says, but I don't want to be a hypocrite. He had a t-shirt. He actually said this. He had a t-shirt with a big fish on it. And he loved to fish. He said, I never, I never wear a t-shirt with a fish on it that I haven't caught. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I said, you won't be a hypocrite. I said, when you trust Christ as your Savior, your life will be changed. You will not be a hypocrite. You will, you will live for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what happened. He got saved. He does live for the Lord Jesus. He was baptized in his backyard when his oldest son got saved. We woke up that morning. We were going to have an outdoor baptism. It was pouring rain. I called him. I said, should we put it off till next week? He said, no, we're going to do it today. We're going to do it in the rain. We're both going to get baptized in the rain. So we preached our message and all the other parts inside the house. We went into the pool in the rain. The rest of the people stood under a pavilion, and he was baptized. We're all lost in our trespasses and sins, but the next part of the gospel is that Christ died for us. Look at that passage. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned each one to his own way. And the Lord laid upon him. The Father 
laid upon the Son all of our sins, all of our iniquities, all of our judgment, all of our wrath was placed on the Lord Jesus. And the Lord laid on him the iniquities of us all. Not the ones who cleaned their lives up, those who had turned astray, those who had gone to their own way. Those are the people the Lord laid the sin. Those are the sins that were laid upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He bore our sins. We're all sinners. Christ died for our sins. And there's one part that we have to do, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the nutshell. I want to think in your minds for a minute, over to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 and 9. And that passage there, it tells us that the salvation, that salvation is a free gift. It's a free gift that God offers to us. It doesn't cost us anything. We do all the sinning. He does all the saving. It didn't cost me anything when I trusted Christ as my Savior. But it cost the Lord, it cost the Lord Jesus everything. It was a gift that he gave to me. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 say this, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Salvation is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's a gift. It's a gift that God gives to us when he died on the cross of Calvary. He offers the finished work of Christ to us. And we receive that gift. We believe on that gift. And our sins are forgiven. It tells us also it's a gift in, in, uh, in Luke chapter 7. Remember that woman who comes into the dinner that the Lord Jesus is invited to in the home of, of Simon the Pharisee. This woman comes in and she, she, with her tears, she washes the feet of the Lord Jesus and with her hair she dries the feet and she anoints his feet with his precious alabaster box of ointment. And then the Lord Jesus tells a story. He says there were two, there was a creditor who had two debtors. The first debtor had a long list of sins. He owed a debt of 500 denarii. A denarius was one day's wage. 500 days' wages he owed to this creditor. Another person owed 50 days' wages to the creditor. But then we have this phrase, I think in verse 40. And when they had nothing to pay, when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Isn't that beautiful? When they were spiritually bankrupt, when they couldn't clean themselves up, when they couldn't lay anything at the feet of the Lord Jesus, when they couldn't give anything to him, he frankly forgave them both. There's a great passage in Psalm 49. Psalm 49, verse, verses 7 and 8. It says, No one can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for him. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough. No one can redeem. No one can bring any payment price to God for their sins. I can't bring enough good works. I can't bring anything to God for my salvation. The Lord Jesus Christ is that purchase price. He is that redemption price. He is that costly price that only he can pay. No man can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for him. The ransom for a life is costly. 
Only the Lord Jesus Christ can pay that ransom price. So it's a gift. We have to watch we don't add works before, before our faith in the Lord Jesus. We have to watch we don't add works after our faith in the Lord Jesus. But let's go on a little bit. Another great truth, and I want to turn in our Bibles, if we would, back to Isaiah 53. We've been looking at it a little bit. Another great truth about the gospel is that Christ died for all men. The Lord Jesus died for everyone. Didn't die just for some people. He didn't die for people that live in the United States or live in Canada or live in Wisconsin or another country or just for the Jewish people. The Lord Jesus Christ died for everyone. We read in Isaiah 53, that's an interesting verse because it begins with the word all and it ends with the word all. And in both cases, the all is the same. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned each one to his own way. That all is everyone in the world. That all is all sinners in the world. No matter where you live, no matter what time period, he says he died for all, that, he, that all have sinned. But then it says this. It says that the Lord, God the Father, laid on him the iniquity of us all, of everyone. The Lord Jesus bore the sins of everyone. He paid the sin debt of everyone. There's no one you can walk up to and say to him, and not be able to say to him, Christ died for you. You can say that to everyone. Christ, do you know that Christ died for your sins? Do you know when he was on the cross, he was dying for you? Do you know that he was bearing your sins on the cross of Calvary when he died? When he died 2,000 years ago, he was dying for you. He was dying for me. That he was doing it for you. No one can say, well, it wasn't for me, it was for everybody else, but it wasn't for you. No one can say that. But there's a problem. There's a little bit of a problem. Some people will say, well, if he died for everyone, when he was on the cross, if he paid the sin debt for everyone, then it would mean that everyone is saved. Everyone has their sin debt paid for, and so that everyone is saved. So everyone in the world is saved then, and no one has to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. There are people that believe that in years past, and there are people that believe that today. In 2008, 12, 12 years ago, there was a, a very well-known book that came out. Maybe you read the book. Many people, it sold 23 million copies. It was turned into a, a movie, and you can watch the movie on, I think, Netflix. It was called The Shack. The book was called The Shack. And uh, it was a tragic story about a, a father who lost a child that was m murdered in a, in a shack uh, out in the mountains. And he goes, he gets a letter in his mailbox from God and tells him to go to this shack in the mountains. And so he goes. And when he's there, he meets God. And God speaks to him and talks to him. And one of the things that God says is this. He says, when Jesus died on the cross, he died for everyone. Everyone's sins are forgiven. The only problem, your son who died was murdered. His sins were forgiven. Whether he believed in the Lord Jesus Christ or not, his sins were forgiven. You don't have to pray for, for, for salvation, according to this book. Only thing God wants is relationship. I don't think that's true. 
I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. Yes, Christ died for the sin dead of everyone. Around the same time, there's another writer. His name was Rob Bell. He was from the Michigan Grand Rapids area. He wrote a book called The Velvet Elvis. And in that book, he told a story. He told a story about going to breakfast with his son. And when he went for breakfast, they enjoyed their breakfast. They're about to go. And the waitress came along and said, someone has paid your bill. You don't have to pay it. Someone else paid it. You can go. So he wrote in his book, that's exactly like the gospel. Someone else paid the sin debt and we're free. But there's something wrong with that illustration. He has to accept that, doesn't he? He has to receive that. He could have said, I don't believe it. I don't believe someone paid my debt. I don't believe that someone went and paid what I needed to pay. I'm going to pay it myself. I'm going to leave money on my table for the whole amount. See, we have to receive that gift. We have to receive that. Now, turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9 that Christ tasted death for every man. We're told in Romans chapter 5 and verse 6 that when we're without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. He died for every man. He died for the ungodly. We're told in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, for God commends his love towards us that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for sinners. He died for the ungodly. He died for every man. Look what it says here in Romans chapter 3. Now I'm reading from the King James Bible. I'm not sure what translation that you're reading from you have in front of you. But in chapter 3 and verse 22, it reads like this. It may read differently in a newer translation, but the, the, the idea is all through the Bible. It is all through the Bible. Romans chapter 3 and verse 22. Romans 3 talks about the righteousness of God. How we can, we can become de- declared righteous by the finished work of the Lord Jesus. So in verse 21... It says, the righteousness of God is manifested, witnessed to us by the law and the prophets. goes on to say about righteousness in verse 22. And then it says this. Righteousness is unto all. Righteousness is for everyone. This payment price, this righteousness is unto everyone. But does everyone have their sins forgiven? There's something about that gift that the Lord gives, something about that death that the Lord paid, something about that sin debt he paid for every man. We have to appropriate that. We have to make that good in our lives. It says here, it is unto all, but it is upon all them that believe. It's a difference, isn't it? It's a difference to give a gift to everyone. I can pull out of my pocket, I'm not going to do that, $100 for everyone in this room. I can offer it to you. It's for everyone. Well, some might not come. I'm not sure anybody would do that. But some might not come say, I don't want it. And if you don't take it, it's not for you. It's not done any good in your life. So here in this passage, all have that gift of salvation is unto all, but it is upon all, good for all 
that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm glad of the day that I did that. I trusted Christ as my Savior. There's another truth that I want to look at for a moment. And that is Christ loved us and he gave himself for us. The Lord Jesus, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The gospel is a gift. The gospel, the basis of the gospel, the death of the Lord Jesus Christ is for everyone. The love of the Lord Jesus Christ is for everyone. Christ loves us all. Christ died for us all. Christ wants us all to be saved. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son for the world, that whosoever in the world would believe should not perish, but have everlasting life. But it says also in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4, This is good and pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved, all men and women to be saved, and come to the knowledge of the truth. What a great verse. God desires that all come to Christ, that all be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, it says, God is not slack, it's not slow concerning his promise, but is long-suffering and will not have any to perish, but that all would come to repentance. He wants all to be saved. He wants all to come to repentance. He's long-suffering. He's waiting and waiting and waiting for all to be saved. You see over and over again this great truth. He died for all. He wants all to be saved. You might meet someone. Everyone you meet, it's somebody that the Lord wants to be saved. You cannot ever meet someone. You can't ever talk to someone whom the Lord does not want to be saved. You meet someone at a park. You meet someone at work. You meet a relative. You can know for a certainty that's someone who the Lord wants to be saved. And there's a last truth, and that the Lord is actively working to lead everyone to faith in the Lord Jesus. No, not everyone's saved. I wasn't saved until I trusted Christ. There's a personal responsibility. The Lord has done everything necessary. He loved us. He died for us all. He desires us all to be saved, and he's working that we all may come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to look at that with you. I want to close our time together looking at that with you. Take your, your Bibles with me. And turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And verse 15. Now let me ask you a question. Does your sin nature, does your fall into sin nature, is that an impenetrable barrier for you to come to faith in the Lord Jesus? You know, some people would say yes. Some people say our sin nature is so strong of a barrier, is an impenetrable barrier, and you cannot come to faith in the Lord Jesus. But look what it says in this passage. It says that the Israelites during the time of the Lord Jesus, during the time of the Apostle Paul, had a veil of spiritual blindness over them. 
Look what it says in verse 15. Uh, Verse 15, even to this day, when Moses, when the books of Moses are read, the veil is upon their hearts. There's a veil. It's a spiritual blindness over them. Now, does that spiritual blindness make it so that they cannot come to faith in the Lord Jesus? Absolutely not. Look what it says in the next verse. Nevertheless, when, when it, in King James, says it means heart, when a person, nevertheless, when a person shall turn to the Lord, the veil is taken away. How, how is that possible? If that veil would blind them, how is it possible they can turn to the Lord? They have their old sinful nature. They have spiritual blindness. But it says here, when, the, when Moses, when the word of God is read, a heart can turn to the Lord. That's the power of of the written word, people can read a tract, read the word of God and be saved. How is that possible? There's power. There's power of the gospel in the preached word. There's the power of the gospel in the written word. There's power in the gospel. Have you shared that gospel with someone else? Here in this case, the word is read and they turn to the Lord and are saved. Now take your Bibles with me. And turn to Acts, the book of Acts. Book of Acts in verse 26. Chapter 26 and verse 18. Chapter 26 of the book of Acts and verse 18. Here the Apostle Paul is speaking to King Agrippa, and he's recounting his commission by the Lord Jesus Christ, how he was called, called to go to the Jewish people, and then he was called to go to the Gentiles and preach the gospel to the Gentiles. He was called to go to the Jewish people who had the scriptures, had an Old Testament understanding. The prophets and the teachers had gone to them, and he first went to preach the Lord Jesus to them, and he does that all the way up to chapter 13 of the book of Acts. In chapter 13, the last part of the book of Acts, he turns, God calls him to turn and go to the Gentiles. So in verse 17, he says, I'm delivering you from the people. I'm turning you from your ministry to the Jewish people and I'm having you go to the Gentiles. Gentiles were a people that knew nothing about the Lord Jesus. No Old Testament written knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. No knowledge of David and Abraham and Moses and any of that. Totally pagan. Totally no knowledge of what God had done in time and history. But now God, now Paul talks, shares what God had told him. Shares this message that God had given to him. Now look at the first part of verse 18. I am so encouraged by verse 18. If you go out and do gospel work, you go out and share, you work with camp, you work with young people, you do vacation Bible school, whatever it may be, you have a home Bible study, you have people who come in who are not Christians, maybe someone comes in who has no knowledge at all, has not been raised at all in a Christian background, never had a Bible in their home. I've met many people like that. Never had a Bible, doesn't know a thing, doesn't know one single Bible story. When you invite them to vacation Bible school, they don't have a Bible to bring to vacation Bible school, so you have to give them a Bible because there's not a Bible in their home. 
But here in verse 18, look what happens. When the message is preached, when the gospel is preached, verse 18 says this, it opens their eyes. The first thing that happens, their eyes are opened by the preaching of the gospel. This is a person who has no knowledge of spiritual things. When the word is preached, when the message is given, their eyes are opened. When you speak to an unsaved person, their eyes are open. You may think that they're not, they're not connecting. You're not connecting with them at all. But it says their eyes have begun to go open. They've learned things they didn't know before. They've learned that they're a sinner. and they, Maybe they've learned about the Lord Jesus. Maybe they've learned what Christ has done on the cross of Calvary. Their eyes go open. But look at the next thing we have in this passage. When that message is preached to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light. When the message is preached, there is a beginning of the turning from darkness. When you bring light into a person's life, darkness is dispelled. More light that comes in, more darkness goes away. You take a little, little cell phone flashlight, put it into a room, a little bit of darkness goes away. More light comes into the room, more darkness goes away. More spiritual light that comes into a household, into a life, more darkness goes away. More you preach to them, more they read the scriptures, more they know about the gospel, more darkness is dispelled. When the message is preached, it opens their eyes. When the message is preached, they're turned from darkness to light. Look at, this, look at the third thing. When the gospel message is preached, they're turned from the power of Satan to God. Now, these are three things that take place in the preaching of the gospel. This is not when they're saved. This is not after they believe. This is before they believe. These are things that happen when you share the message. When you have a home Bible study, when you share with a friend, when you give a tract, when you share your testimony, when you have vacation Bible school, when you have youth, when you have a camp, these are things that happen when they hear the message. But look at this passage. To open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. And then the next clause, next phrase. What's it say? These things happen when you preach the gospel that they may receive the forgiveness of sins. These things all happen when you preach the gospel and all these things are necessary to happen so that they might be able to believe. So when you share the gospel, all these things happen. You think that the words are bouncing off their ears. You think that nothing has happened whatsoever. But in reality, a lot is going on. In reality, they're hearing. They're listening. Light is, being, is coming into their lives. They're being released from the power of Satan so they can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Look what it says also in this verse. The last part of verse 18 that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among them that are sanctified by what? By faith that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord paid for that sin debt on the cross, but we need to have faith in the Lord Jesus. He made, Christ made provision. He made sufficient provision for every man, woman, and child that when they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, they receive the forgiveness of of sins. Many years ago, David Livingston went to 
Africa, Central Africa. And if you were to read his biographies and you were to read about his life, you would find out how many people he led to salvation in Christ. It was one, one person, a man named uh, Sacheli. He was the son of a tribal chieftain. There was a power struggle, and his father lost out, and he had to flee. They would kill him. They had to flee. He fled, and as he fled, he met David Livingston. So Shelley wanted to regain power before he got saved. So he found that he could buy a keg of gunpowder, which he did. And uh, he sent it to a relative of his that took over the power of the tribe and said it was possessed by demons. They threw it into a fire and exploded. And his relative who took over the tribe was killed. He could go back and he could be the chieftain of the tribe now. But he came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The power of the gospel reached through to him. His life was changed. To shorten the story a little bit, David Livingston went to another area and Seychelles went to the area where today is Botswana. He went to Botswana and began to preach began to teach, and it said that, that Sashelli led more people to salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ than any, anyone ever in Africa in that time period. Over 30,000 people were led and baptized by Sashelli uh, in Botswana in his, in his time period. And I love that story because it just shows the truth of Acts 26.18. When the gospel was preached, when it was preached, eyes were opened. When it was preached, light came into his life. When it was preached, it was a turning from the power of Satan to the power of God. I want to read one last quotation about that verse, and we'll close in a word of prayer. This is from a commentary by John Phillips. He says this, The power to do, to power to, to open eyes and turn uh, from darkness to light, from Satan to God, to open their eyes, to turn them, the power to do that is inherent in the gospel. In the gospel resides power, the mighty, irresistible power of God, the power to open eyes and break chains. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our God and Father, we thank you for our time this morning. We thank you that the Lord Jesus loves all men. We thank you that the Lord Jesus died and pay the sin debt for all men. He made provision for salvation for everyone. We're thankful that the Lord Jesus desires all men to be saved. He came in the, in the, into this world that whosoever believes should be saved. And we're thankful that he is working by his spirit. He's working by the word of God. There's power in the gospel to lead everyone to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we would pray this morning that you would lead and you would guide and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.